Matthews, and welcome to Book 101. Book 101 is all about the books that I read for the last 40 years, and today I have my special guest. She is the author of several books. <laughs> no other than Miss L.L. Stevens. Hello. Welcome back, Miss Stevens. And can you please introduce yourself? Uh, my name is L.L. Stevens. I'm the author of uh, Epic Fantasy books. Right now, uh, right, what I'm publishing right now is a uh, series of six books. Uh, they're all written, but I'm on the uh, third book has just been published and the fourth book will be published in early 2024. And uh, nothing makes me happier than finding readers to uh, enjoy these epic fantasies. Yes. And before we go on to the third book, Miss Stevens, can we do the recap of Sardanan and the Cult King. Yes, uh, the, the series starts in book one, Sardanian, with the character Darillion Sardanian, and he's uh, a young person uh, in that book. He starts out as a teenager, ends up at 21 in the book. Um, and he's an angry, bitter person because of the way his country's been co uh, conquered and occupied. But he's also very powerful. He's uh, descended from a race of gods. Uh, he has God blood in him, and he's bound to a powerful entity. So he's like, I'm going to get this entity going, and I'm going to get revenge on my oppressors. But in the course of the book, he learns more facts about how everything actually happened, more facts about actually how he has to relate to this entity. And by the end of the book, a, an event happens that completely upends everything and changes everything about the powerful empire into which he was born. In The Keld King, we take off from that point onward. Uh, Darillion in the book grows from 21 until he's uh, 29 or 30, 29, something like that. Anyway, he's uh, a young man. He's a young adult thrust into a ruler role, but he likes being a ruler. He was born and bred for it, so he kind of comes to it naturally. His rival in the other part of the empire, however, is thrust into a role for which he was not really properly prepared, and which he doesn't necessarily handle well. And so we see the final dissolution of this empire that had supported these massive entities, Darillion's entity, and another one that's up in the northern kingdom. And we see how that empire unravels and crumbles. And, and then Darillion at the end, you're kind of like, well, <laughs> what's he going to do now? Because things are in a, a massive upheaval. And then we get into the second stone, which starts to set the stage for how this will play out into an end game, where we either see the final death of the empire or we see its revival. So, Ms. Stevens, the second stone, what behind the third book? Uh, title? Um, it comes from something that's said early in the book. Uh, there's, there's an immortal wizard in the series, Marenthro. Nobody really knows much about him. They suspect much about him. Uh, he has a conversation with the heir to the northern uh, kingdoms called, his name is Honduran. And Hans and Marenthro have this conversation where Marenthro reveals that uh, once before, he threw a stone that caused consequences that led to things very early in the history of 
the triumphary, the empire. And Hans is like the second stone that Marenthro is throwing. He's putting him into this morass because Hans was not raised in this empire. He was kind of separated from it. And so he's being thrown back into it. So how did you craft it, the second stone? The second stone actually was the core, uh, the core premise of the whole series. Uh, what happens from the second stone forward is the initial final arc um, of the whole series. So I wrote it before I wrote Sardanian and the Keld King. Um, I have since revised it. It's heavily revised. But the original story started in the second stone. And that's how it was crafted. It was crafted as an introduction to the Triumphary. It was crafted as an introduction to Dorillion, who, when Hans meets him, is a damaged, kind of scary guy. And I was asked by an editor to write Dorillion's backstory. And that's how I came to write Sordanian and the Celt King, to get that backstory developed for readers to enjoy, to participate in, to actually take part in how the empire was destroyed and, and, and Dorillion ended up this person in the second stone. So that's how I crafted it. Um, was originally, it, it had to be the original story, but I, I came at it now as the third book. So I kind of uh, had to weave in some characters I'd created. I had to weave in a few plot lines and make it more of a continuum. But I crafted it to be the bridge book, the arch. I, I set off these new arcs that continue to the end of the series. Very well said, Ms. Stevens. So what do you think the best highlight of the second stone? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, hmm. I think for me, it was, it's um, Darillion and Hans figuring how to work with each other. And there's this one scene, I mean, they, they first don't even barely, they barely know each other. Like, who the heck are you? And it's very contentious and kind of standoffish. But there's a scene where Hans basically breaks the ice. He does something and he, he and Darillion have a clash that, basically sets a new stage for them to actually become more like equals and get to know each other. They start to get to know each other. And there's, it's a very physical scene. It's a very, um, it, it breaks apart some of the scar tissue of the story surrounding Stefan, who is one of the characters in The Killed King. He was The Killed King, but is Hans's brother. So Hans has this brother and Darillion hated his brother. And now they have to break apart the scar tissue of that contentious relationship in order to create their own relationship. They have to get rid of Stefan once and for all. And I like that scene for that reason. It, it helps put Stefan to rest behind them so they can proceed forward with a new relationship. Wow. Uh, I think there's a, a scene in the a courtroom where <laughs> where Dorillion basically just takes command of everything and tells people to go to hell, pretty much, and uh, and uh, just asserts his power in a way I think readers will find extremely satisfying. Definitely, indeed. So what do you think the flaws? The flaws? 
I think the flaw will be because it comes off such a Darillion centric first and second book, they may, readers I think may wish for a little more Darillion because Hans has to be given page time. He becomes um, the character through which Darillion works as the final arc of the series takes place. In, they need to, to create a relationship. So I, there is a lot of Hans on the, in the second stone. I hope readers like him. He's an enjoyable character ultimately. But, um, but I think readers will want to see a little more Darillion and I, I, maybe I didn't quite put enough of him in. But I think what I put in of him is very interesting. It, this, is a, this is a real look at him as a family man, as the ruler of Sordan, as a tormented person with relationships he can't quite escape. And uh, although I, th I think readers will want more Darillion, I also think what they get of him is extremely good. So in writing Darillion, who influenced you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, okay, let me start here. Originally, the concept of Drillian <laughs> came from, from a character in a 1960s TV show. Um, if I had to go all the way back to teenage me writing the very first parts of this book, I, was, I, I liked that character and I created a whole world to suit that character, a fantasy world. It wasn't a fantasy TV show. Um, so that character was an aloof German uh, a very, very rigid person. And that's how I came up with the concept of, of someone who could be aloof and rigid, but also ultimately perhaps the, the main mover and shaker of, of something that's rather awesome. That's where the original concept came from. Along the way, I've had many influences for Drillian, including my, uh, my eldest son, who <laughs> is like... <laughs> I mean, come on, our kids teach us what teenagers are like. So, um, you know, uh, and uh, I've just had, yeah, my, my middle son, he can outstare anybody. And I once saw him do it. He literally was in a staring contest with someone for hours. And I'm like, watching this, Darillion can do that. He got that from my son. Oh, <laughs> so, my goodness. Influences that... come from everywhere for an author, you know, everywhere. Definitely those people around them and inspire them the most. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, Mrs. Stevens, how many days and month you wrote the second stone? Oh, well, let me see. I would say about 50 years. And the reason I say that is, remember I said it was the first book I wrote of this whole series. Um, and the initial concept of this book was originally written a long time ago, about 50 years ago. Um, I've polished it, changed it, completely rewritten it many, many, many times over the years. So how long did it finally take me to polish it the last time? It took about four months when my editor and I went through the very latest version of it and we revised it, added scenes, changed scenes, deleted scenes, and made it what it is now. That was a four-month process. Wow, what a process indeed, Mrs. Stevens. <laughs> yeah, this one was a long process. <laughs> so what are your struggles in writing Second Stone? Um, my main struggle was with the beginning of it. 
Um, uh, Han starts off in another one of them. It's a, basically a multiverse universe created by these gods. He starts off in one of the past parts of this creation. He starts off in a different world. And Maranthro and, and Hans's mother, Emily, sent him there to protect him so he wouldn't be exposed to certain things, so that he'd grow up with an independent mind, so that he'd be safe from enemies. They sent him to that place and that made Stefan enraged. And the Keld King, Stefan, was not happy about this. He did not want it to have happen, but they did. So now in the second stone, he has to come back but how to bring him back. And so um, I needed to, to do it in a way that I, I think is interesting. Um, it, it's, there's this whole other society he grew up in. I showed Hans in that society. I show Marenthro convincing Hans to come back. And that involves revisiting a key scene in Sardanian. And Hans says, I need to know what happened. I need to know what really happened in that period. And Maranthro's like, I don't know. And Hans is like, if you don't do that, I won't come back. So Maranthro does show him what really happened. This is a key scene because Hans needs to trust Derillion. And nobody trusts Derillion. If you read the Sordanian and the Keld King, no one up there trusts him. Everybody thinks he's duplicitous, that he's murdered these people, that he's, he's done horrible things, and he has done a few horrible things. But Hans needs to trust Derillion if this whole story is ever to be successful. Marenthro knows that. If Hans doesn't trust Derillion, the things that need to happen to save the world aren't going to happen. They'll become enemies just like Stefan and Derillion became enemies. And that was a disaster. So to help persuade Hans, Maranthro shows him what happened, really shows him. And Hans comes away from that thinking, well, yeah, I, I can't stay here. That's not going to work. And I got to go find this Derillion guy. And um, so he does go, and he goes to find that Derillion guy. So getting the beginning to work was my greatest challenge. Oh, very well said, Mrs. Stevens. Which chapter of the book you have enjoyed writing it oh man oh i love all of it um enjoyed enjoyed um i think i uh most enjoyed writing um some of the scenes that surround Derillion and hans getting to know each other there's a, a scene on a terrace in sordan where they still don't really quite trust each other and aren't sure what to do with each other. I like those dialogues. They, ex they kind of they lay bare the myth that's behind the world. They lay ba bare the tensions that are between the characters. I like writing that kind of scene very, very much. Okay, before we go on, Mrs. Stevens, I want to shout out to the people listening in Denmark. Thank you so much, Denmark. Denmark, in capital region, I got 57% audience share. North Denmark at 19%. South Denmark at 17%. Zealand at 6%. And Center, Jutland at 1%. Thank you so much, Denmark, for supporting this podcast. Because this podcast is created to empower writers all over the world. Like Ms. L.L. Stevens. Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> 
So, Mrs. Stevens, what are your short-term and long-term goals in writing? Well, my short-term goal, and I consider it short-term because it'll happen in the next couple of years, is to get this entire uh, series published. I, I desperately want to do that. Um, and so far, it's working very well. I have to be able to afford to get book covers and get this published, but they're selling well, and so I'm able to do that. So I want to see the whole series in print within the next two years. And then my long-term goals, I just love writing. So I'm writing Mark Frederick's story. He's a character in Sordanian. Readers loved him. <laughs> I love him. Um, and so I want to write his backstory. I think it'll be, it really dives deep into the lore of the wall, which is the time-spanning entity in the northern part of the empire. It dives deep into that and how an outsider became the king of that part of the empire. Um, so I want to write his backstory. I also could write the backstory of Emily, a woman who, um, well, she gave birth to Stefan and Hans. She's Mark Frederick's daughter. She has a very turbulent history that ties into every part of this series, but I think she'd be an interesting character to write her story. It might be a bit traumatic, though, so I've kind of held off on writing it because it has some um, sexual assault in it and stuff like that. So I don't really like to visit those areas unless I have to, even though people know about it, readers know about it, but we'll see if I write that. Then I also have a science fiction series I'd like to, uh, my first science fiction novel was published a long time ago, uh, but it was really good. <laughs> I liked it. And I did write two sequels to that. And I think those might eventually see print also. I'd like to revise them and put them out. And then in the meantime, I'll write novellas, lore posts, um, and maybe a if people like the Triumphary series enough to want more of it, I do have ideas for what happens after the uh, end of the series. Wow, sounds interesting. So you're doing a prequel of your uh, trilogy or series? I could. I mean, I have some chapters written. Mark Frederick's story is a prequel, yes. So which character do you want to uh, portray on your prequel? Oh, it would be Mark Frederick, uh, the guy from another world who became king. He, he's quite the outsider, and yet he's a very effective king. Um, we meet him in Sordania, and he's already been king for a while. Uh, so he, Jerillian meets the older, established Mark Frederick. But his becoming established, he was an outsider. He should never have even been considered to become king. How did that happen in a uh, an empire ruled by god kings who were god-born and had god blood and talked to the wall and visited time? How did this ordinary guy become a king? Uh, how did he get brought to the world? Why did he get brought to the world? Uh, that happens to be because of the wall, because of this massive entity, decided he should be brought to the world. But how did that all take place? Who did he make friends with? <laughs> did he make any friends? How was he tested? Um, how was his marriage decided? <laughs> it's not necessarily simple. And so uh, I, I, I would love to write his story. Yes, indeed. So the second stone, mm -hmm. what, what chapter do you think that you have difficulty of writing with? 
Well, might be the one where I had the river voyage. Uh, and the, the reason I, I may have had a problem is I wanted something picaresque, kind of, where Hans uh, picks up a companion, but now because he picked up this companion, he can't afford his journey to Sordan, and he has to travel up the river by working on a boat. He works on a salt boat. And I, you know, I, I wrote a few poems. I wrote a few songs. I didn't put most of them in. But I, uh, I enjoyed trying to, exp to lay out some of the culture through this river voyage. Um, it, I didn't want it to be boring. I don't, I don't think it is, but I, I think it's, it's interesting. And I, I did have, I wouldn't say difficulty, but again, it was challenging. It can be challenging to try something new, right? Yes, definitely. So let's talk the character or the main character of the second stone. There's two main characters. Darillion remains a main character. He's very much a main character. And then Hans becomes a main character. He is a minor character in The Kelp King. He only shows up once in Sordanian. But in this book, he becomes a main character. He's young. He's idealistic. He wasn't raised in the world. He brings a lot of concepts from our world. I wouldn't, though I don't mean identically our world, but a world related to our world. So he believes in things like democracy and people picking their own leaders and, um, you know, econ economics that benefit everybody. He has these ideas that are very alien to, to the culture he comes into. So he's an interesting main character. Darillion is an interesting main character. I have some interesting secondary characters in this book too. I, I'm just as in love with secondary characters as I am main characters. Secondary characters bring color and flavor and insight into a story. Okay, sounds interesting, Mrs. Steven. So before we go on, I'm inviting you to listen to my other podcast, Food 101 on our third season with Chef Alessandro, one of the best or one of the executive chefs in one of the five-star hotels in downtown Toronto. So please do uh, check our latest episode this coming Monday. We're going to talk about vodka sauce. It's one of my top episodes of Food 101, which is having, having a 3,500 download. So we want to talk about it because I did talk about that episode on my first season so please do check food 101 plus one more i have this upcoming uh podcast called comedy 101 with mr mike lucas this uh podcast will empower laughter people so that your stress and everything that uh make you uh, more stress will go away because comedy make you create laughter. So, Mrs. Stevens, after the second stone, what will be the next series? Well, there's another book after the second stone um, to get toward the sixth final book. Uh, this would be book four. Uh, book four is coming right after. And uh, it'll be coming out early next year, I think. It may be out late this year. We'll see. But um, it's a, it's, it takes a deep dive into a very amusing culture. Uh, Darillion gets out of his element. He does something amazing in the second stone that shocks 
what's left of the empire, just completely shocks it. And then he disappears. And in, in the fourth book, Durelian's among people he doesn't understand. And Hans is among people he doesn't understand either. And they, they rather bond over that. And some uh, very interesting things happen in that book. Uh, and then the book after that is when there's a huge war. And uh, we dive into war, which is a fascinating thing. I, people may not have seen any of my war scenes yet because the other books didn't really have too many. But there will be plenty of battle in those books. So uh, Sardinan, the Celt King, and the Second Stone, which is the best? Which one is your favorite? Favorite? Um, I'd have to say Sardinian. I, I think it it tells the amazing story of, of a very unusual, uh, powerful person who doesn't yet know who they are. He he's, he's, doesn't know who he is when he's a teenager. Do any of us know who we are? When we're in our teens, we may suspect who we can become, but we don't really know ourselves. And he doesn't. And he meets up with people, Darillion does, meets up with people who do know what he can be, and they do know who he might be. And and definitely Mark Frederick, who knows who he is. He, by which I mean he sees the man that's coming out of this boy. And I really enjoyed doing that book. I think it's, it's a very good character study of a two fascinating men. And it sets up this powerful, amazing empire, and what and that event that happens. It's amazing ending. It's very powerful ending. So I think it's a good book because it's the complete package. I think all of the books are good, but I think Sir Daniel's is the, uh, a wonderful book. Yes, and I think this is considered as your uh, first son. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> one always loves their first child. Uh, you love all of them, but the oh, first one teaches you the most. <laughs> Definitely. So what Sardinian uh, taught you? Oh, it taught me to take chances. I'll tell you that. Um, I was hesitant to write the book uh, for many reasons when it was first suggested to me. I was like, huh, uh, can I make uh, a teenager interesting? I did it. Can I uh, condense all of this empire into one book? I did. Can I build up these entities and make them powerful and believable? I did. Can I write that scene? And I did. It was a scene, it's not the end scene, it's another scene in the book that had to it had to happen, but I could have condensed it and said it in a couple of paragraphs, oh, well, here's what, you know, this is what happened. No, I showed it. I showed the entire scene and how it went down and the emotion, the devastation, the destruction of a character, the building of a character, the, the, the change. I showed the change. I did it. And so that book taught me how to take chances because maybe I can do it, you know. Let's see what happens if I try. Maybe I'll do it. Yes. So Sardinan, the Cult King, the Second Stone. I could tell you the titles of the next books. If you yes. Know. What will be the next title of your fourth book? Aha. The fourth book is The God Spear. And oh. uh, yeah. And the fifth book is The Walled City. So, oh. and the sixth book, I may change the title of the sixth book, but right now it's The Real Lord. But the Godspear 
it refers to this country of Amalar, which is where the Kelds live. Uh, Stephen was the Keld king, but not all of his subjects were from this country. This deals specifically with that country, those people who the other people of the empire consider barbarians and rustic, ignorant, maybe not too smart, barely useful. But yeah. you find out there are a lot more than that. They have their own culture, their own magic. And yes, they're, they're less what would you call it, technologically advanced um, than the other people, but they're not dumb. <laughs> they're very <laughs> smart yeah. and very capable, and they're very impressive in different ways. They like to fight. They like to argue. They, 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 they like to get their own way. They're very boisterous. They eat good food. Darillion is very impressed by this, by the way, that they eat good. He likes their food. Oh, my gosh. He is a bit of a food snob. He loves good food no matter what book it's in. He's enjoying good food. And here among the Celts, he finds the best food. So Darlene is like, yeah, okay. I may have found my people, you know. <laughs> so, uh, Mrs. Gavins, what are the preparation you did uh, in writing all this series? It's, it's interesting. I'm... Preparation can come in preconceived and, and just like, oh, hey, here's something I know. When I lived in Bolivia for a while, this was many, many, many years ago, I was fascinated by the folklore and the history and the culture. I visited the ruins of Tiahuanaco, and I took pictures of Tiahuanaco, and I walked up and down and examined it, and I, I, I got real familiar with the Altiplano and the ruins and the culture there. So when I had Hans live in another world, I said, well, <laughs> this is a nice, it's, it's an interesting place. So let's put him there. I used that knowledge. I uh, did a little more research. I spell it as it is currently spelled by the indigenous people there. Not the way it was spelled when I first learned about it. I, uh, you know, I, I evolved some of the description and I, uh, I went from there. The door of the sun is from direct experience. The Apatanan, the Tiwanaku ruins is from experience. Hans comes from there. And the portal he uses to come back to our, to the Triampari world is the door of the sun at Tiwanaku. That was direct experience. And then I researched rivers, big, wide rivers like the Mississippi, the Nile, the Amazon, uh, the Danube, uh, rivers that have throughout history been commercial, you know, people, boats up and down, ports up and down, how these big economic generating rivers work because there's a big river journey in the second stone. It's like, okay, I need to know more about that. I need to do more about that. So I did research rivers and uh, the various things. Uh, you know, whenever I find something I want to know more about, I dive deep into it. I'm a researcher at heart. And um, for a certain ceremony, there was a ceremony in Sardanian, which is not Sardanian, in the second stone. Um, where the sun rises and magical things happen. It is magical. But I also researched some of the mythology that can underlies different cultures, you know, sunrise myths and uh, first day of the year myths and things like that. And uh, oh, also there's a big dance in the second stone, but it also takes place in Sudan in the two different occurrences of this holiday. 
that's directly from Bolivia. It's the Dance of the Devils from, the, uh, from Bolivia. It, the music in my head is from there and the, the way the dancers look and spin and dance is from there. I describe those things out of my personal experience. Yes, very well said. Mrs. Stevens, so the Triampere Revolutions, where do you get that idea? It evolved, like, uh, as I mentioned, uh, I've been writing this for decades. Uh, the story having more and more consequence evolved over those decades as I opened it up um, from being bas a basic hero's journey to the journey of someone who's maybe not a hero, but maybe something more. I brought in the destruction of, of the world. I brought in the recreation of the world. I brought in the gods. Um, it took place over many decades. Um, the final version of it emerged in the early 2000s. Um, I took part in a writer's group where I started showing my stories to other writers and getting critiques. And that's where I realized I could make this more unified and bigger and, and tighter. And that's where it took its final shape. So do you think that Trampery revolutions will become timeless? Well, like I would hope it would because we all have aspirations and dreams and I would hope readers take it to heart and love it. And you know, it's like the story of the Velveteen Rabbit. The Velveteen Rabbit as he became shabbier and shabbier became real. I think stories, as they're read and talked about and passed on to other people, they become real. And my greatest dream for my stories is that they become real for some readers, that they, they love the world, they live in it a, a bit. You know, I think when readers really love a world, like I love Lord of the Rings and Middle Earth, I live in it when I'm in those books. I'm there. And so I hope when readers read my books, and some of them will live in it and feel like they're there and be excited or sad or despair for it or hopeful or triumphant when, when the triumphs happen. That's my okay. deepest wish. And is that timeless? Yes. If, if it can achieve that, then they are timeless. Definitely. And it, once you read it, it will haunt you with the rest of your life. I want people <laughs> to think of it. Yes, haunt, maybe haunt even. But yes, that parts of it stay with you. Yes. Definitely. So, Mrs. Stevens, what are your inspiring messages for those uh, aspiring writers out there, writers out there that they want to publish their story? Write what you love. Don't ever give up. Um, I could have given up. Agents rejected my ideas, my stories, my chapters. Uh, not the, just this series, I mean other books that I had conceived, my science fiction books, my, my other stories. Uh, I was rejected by, um, by everybody, publishers, uh, magazines. I was also accepted by many. I've been published quite a lot. But don't give up because it's, it's not personal. It's not about you. It can sting. It hurts. You'll get disheartened and want to stop writing for a while. Do it. But go back to it if that's what you want to do. Love your work. Love what you do. Write what you love. Don't write just to market. Um, I, I have written to market also and had success at that. You can do that if you want to. But I think a little bit of your heart dies when you do. Um, write what you love, the stuff you love, the type of book you love, the characters you love. 
and then stay with it. Don't give up. Um, don't. Yes, write with passion, people. Yes, please, <laughs> lots of passion. <laughs> so that people, because when you love what you're doing, it comes naturally. I think it also comes through. It comes through in the work it, that the author believes in it isn't just going through the motions. Um, I think the author's passion pours into the characters. I really do believe that. Yes. So do you think, Mrs. Stevens, that rejection make you better in the process? No. Um, <laughs> and here's the thing. I think it made me better. It did make me get a thicker skin. Now, does a thicker skin make me better? Maybe. Um, you know, it gets to the point where it's like, okay, fine. You know, I've been rejected again. <laughs> yes. um, so does that, that makes me better in that I, I don't get as discouraged or despondent. It's like, okay, fine. And, and just keep writing, keep trying. Um, rejection doesn't in itself make an unauthor better. All it says is <laughs> you failed. You failed again. This didn't work. What can make you better is finding good critique partners, good beta readers. Um, you know, your mom liking your book doesn't mean much, but if there's a beta reader who gives you substantive criticism, and I mean criticism in the sense of this isn't working and here's why I think it's not working, or, you know, gives you some good advice, that's a good thing. If you can find beta readers like that or a good writing group, that's going to help you. Yes, indeed. So what do you think the difference of rejection and bad reviews? Well, rejection is from a professional, a magazine, an agent, a publisher. They basically say, I don't want this. And uh, it's a business decision. Uh, whatever's going through their mind, it's, it's business. It's not personal. Um, I don't necessarily like or agree with them. But <laughs> bad reviews, <laughs> you know, there's we've talked about that before, kind of. There's bad reviews, like as in a negative review, and then there's trolls, you know, which are a different thing. A negative review tells you that one reader didn't like, or not even didn't like, but has these issues with your book. And for that reason, cannot enjoy it or didn't finish it or gave it bad stars or whatever. Um, that's useful information. You may or may not find a use for it as a writer, but it's, uh, again, it comes with the territory. You put your work out there in public and there are people who may like it and may not like it. It's not unlike dating. <laughs> you know, not every person you date falls in love with you. Um, Definitely. um, and then there's trolls and stuff who deliberately set out just to be mean and that you don't have to take that seriously. It's, it's an unfortunate part of putting yourself out in public that you're yes. going to encounter some of that too. But negative reviews can be instructive. And so just accept them with good grace and move on. You know. Yes, very well said, Mrs. Stevens. So uh, writing is now your full-time job or just on your hobbies? Well, I'm um, mature enough that I can spend full-time writing. I have had a working history. I've worked as... A respiratory therapist. Uh, I taught writing in college. I was a legislative um, administrative assistant, executive. Okay, let's go all the way to executive assistant to a politician. I was an airport public relations coordinator. So I've had many jobs in my life, and I've uh, managed to invest well. So I can afford <laughs> to sit here and just write. And 
in my maturity. And that's a good place to be. Now, people have a harder time, of course, when they're young and they have children and they have to pay the bills Yes. with that job. That makes it a lot tougher to write. But yes, I can write full time. I do write full time. Uh, my husband is an extremely understanding man who doesn't mind <laughs> if I write full time. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's where I am in life. Yes, yes that'd be awesome, Mrs. St Stevens, because we need more books from you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am sending them out as fast as I can. Yes. So uh, can you please invite our listeners to buy all your books? <laughs> buy all my books. <laughs> if you start now, you can read three of them before the fourth one comes out. Um, and if you're a slow reader, you can read four of them before the fifth one comes out. This, this yes. Yes. And, um, you know, if any reviewers are listening, I do send review copies to reviewers. Um, in hope that they'll read it and like it. Uh, but I think you'll enjoy the books. Find a way to get them. Find them at the library. Find them for a friend. Uh, you can buy them online cheap sometimes. Yes. Yes. However you can. I think you'll enjoy the story. It's, it's quite a rousing adventure. It has its funny, funny moments, and it has its exciting moments, and I think people will like the story. Yes. There is a roller coaster ride, people. Mrs. Stephen, the Sardinian, the Cloud, the Cloud King, and the Second Stone are can be standalone novel. Are there's a prerequisite that you need to read one, two, three, and four? A lot of readers. I even asked my fans. I said, "How would you suggest?" And they say to start with Sardinian. However, I think, and I other people agree with me. You could start with the Second Stone. And if you're curious about Darillion's backstory, you can go and read Sudanian. But you could conceivably start with the second stone to get into the last four books. Um, Sudanian can be read as a standalone novel. And if you're curious about what happens next, then you can read the rest of the series. You don't have to read it, the rest of the series, to, to enjoy Sudanian, I don't think. Killed King is kind of between the two books. So I, I do think that although it could be read as a standalone, it's read best as part of the series. So how did you connect each other? Well, they're connected through the characters. Uh, Darillion's story continues directly into the Killed King. So does Stefan's. He starts out in Sardan into the Killed King. Darillion continues into the Second Stone. And Hans, who is just a minor character in the Killed King, continues into the Second Stone. Going into the Godspear, you have both Hans and Darillion and some of the minor characters. And the, the villain, Namor, he's in all of them. The characters connected. So if you were to envision this as a tapestry, you'd see these, these characters wandering through the whole tapestry. That's what connects them. Yes. So if you give them uh, characteristics or attributes, each of them, of your three books, what are they? Sardanian is magnificent. <laughs> it, it's, it's powerful. And... Uh, and thought-provoking. Uh, the Keld King, tragic. It is a tragic story at heart um, and also hopeful in some ways. The second stone is definitely hopeful. Uh, some things are changing and it's changing. It's a changing book. Um, that, so that's how I did do those three. Do you want me to do the other three? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the God Spear is... <laughs> is, um, again, uh, powerful and 
illuminating, very illuminating. The walled city is like, oh, how the heck did that happen? Um, it's shattering and it's bloody and it's, um, again, change and betrayal. And then uh, in The Real Lord, the last book, there is betrayal, power, devastation, and what was the word for what I'm thinking? It's But it's like the world completely changes. So <laughs> it's that. It's that. The finale, as they said. The finale. <laughs> the, the grand finale. The grand finale. Thank you for being part of my podcast. And from the bottom of my heart, please do support Ms. L.L. Stevens because the books are phenomenal. And what of a kind. It gives you a roller coaster uh, feeling, people. Right? There's a drop, uh, as Mrs. Stevens said, there's a powerful thing in there. There is uh, magic in there and something that you will, at the end of the day, you will think about it. Right, Mrs. Stevens? Absolutely. Promise. <laughs> yes. And thank you for your time. Thanks, Daniel. I appreciate it. Yes. Morning, people. See you soon.